Hello and welcome to Apocalypse Bunker Discs. Well, let's face it. The desert islands are being swallowed by rising sea levels, and those that remain are being converted into luxury hotel resorts. The 21st century castaway is far more likely to find themselves marooned in an apocalypse bunker. And with those nuclear storms playing havoc with the satellites up above, it's inevitable that Wi-Fi rationing will have to be enforced. I am your subterranean guide, Oliver Turtle, and each episode I'll be inviting a lockaway to tell me about the eight pieces of underheard music they would take down with them to the vault. A film and book will also be considered. This week's lockaway is Tom Alcott, who describes himself as... A sound designer, provocateur, kind of... Yeah, social commenter and uh, menace. When asked to give an example of this, he painted the following picture. Of me uh, having like a greasy hand and scraping it across some industrial cling film and like having a fairy liquid kind of fingertips Mm. and scraping it across. It kind of sounds like all of the dinosaurs dying at once. A couple of mixes that I've done, uh, DJ mixes, I've kind of put it at the, at the right. start of that as like a big kind of roar or a call to mm-hmm. listen to this. He invited me on a psycho ramble around the suitably macabre Abney Park Cemetery in Stoke Newington, North London. I probably do come here maybe hmm, once every month or so for a walk around, and that'll either be for kind of a long meander or just a quick walk around the block to clear my head. And you do notice certain ones are extra shiny and other ones have kind of toppled over and fallen. Mm. It's kind of interesting, just the mass amounts of graves here. I was reading that since 1840, over 200,000 burials have taken place within this cemetery, which is, you know, it's Mm. nearly the population of Hull or four times the population of Leamington Spa. I was telling a few people I was coming here to do this in the cemetery and the standard response was, oh, you're not a goth, why are you going to a cemetery? But I don't know, I feel like maybe the stereotype of a, the gothic dwelling of cemeteries is overblown somewhat. And in fact, it's more dog walkers, um, kind of hipster couples on a Sunday walk mm-hmm. and then kind of the homeless, drug-addicted alcoholics kind of congregating around bins and benches, um, shouting at dogs that they don't rightfully own and sprawling out on the grassy knolls. So your, your first choice for Apocalypse Bunker Discs, I believe is something that, um, oh my God, well, I'll tell you that's what. a juicy rat. Yeah, enormous, look at him, look at him go. He's yeah. popping around like a sort of kangaroo. As our walk was characterised by multiplying digressions, our conversation followed suit. Please be advised. Um, and I'd say the first one is the most sentimental piece to me. It was Laurie Anderson's Old Superman, um, which was played to me as a small child by my dad and kind of served as some kind of electric lullaby, I guess you'd say. 
Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, it's quite a bizarre ah. record, even by today's standards. There's something quite haunting uh, and beautiful about it. But it's also very minimal and based around electronic arpeggios and sampling and vocoded kind of loops and kind of explains a lot really to my tastes that I grew up getting into. Yeah, the way she constructed the lyrics is very interesting. She sort of transformed all of these sort of historical and ancient references, like the uh, Oh Superman, Oh Judge, Oh Mom and Dad comes from uh, an opera called Lucid. Uh, there's another line which is uh, a reworking of the motto of the American post office. Neither snow nor rain, nor It's from like a Persian text right, and uh, the American post office transformed it in there. So it's this idea of, yeah, the kind of new cold technology and the deepest history all kind of merging. Yeah, and it's this idea as well of like emotion within the electronic. It doesn't have to be, it can still be quite unhuman and still be, have heart and emotion and this record definitely has that, I think. It was just a weird record my dad picked up at the time of its release and mm. something that was just played in our house when I was a very small child a lot and stays with me. So, yeah, mm. great one to start off with. She was obviously the wife of Lou Reed. Mm -hmm. um, and after he died uh, a few years ago, she made a very interesting documentary called Heart of a Dog. It's kind of an animation with her doing some kind of poem essay over the top. It kind of, you know, she's talking about a dog, but she's actually talking about Lou Reed, but she's talking about a dog, and it's kind of done in yeah. that fashion, but it's very beautiful and worth checking out, really. When Lola Bell died, our teacher said, every time you think of her, give something away or do something kind. And I said, then I'd be giving things away non-stop. And he said, so, and it took me so long to figure it out, because death is so often about regrets or guilt. Why didn't I call her? Why didn't I say that? Or it's more about you than the person who died. But finally, I saw it. 
the connection between love and death. And that the purpose of death is the release of love. Do you feel like being being Sungo Superman um, sort of went into your personality as you got older? Do you think? Being, uh, it's something to live up like to, really. Superman. I'm very much a sidekick <laughs> in my own fantasy, I believe. So no, probably probably Psych. not. It's something to aspire to, maybe. But yeah, written on my grave though, that would be good, wouldn't it? Rather than fell asleep, Tom here lies Tom Alcott, a sidekick in his own fantasy. <laughs> I'm trying to think of yeah. my death. How I would have died. I look forward to when when the graves. Um, Sort of get updated a bit. You get gifts and slideshows. Yeah, actually on the graves. That. I can definitely imagine. Probably that. in condensed spaces. Yeah. You may maybe if you can't quite afford to the electricity to do that, you can get adverts inserted in between the different images. Yeah. Maybe before you die, they ask you to like read. It's a final word or something. You just play that on loop. If you could shout one word out just before you were killed or died, what would it be? Um, polyphony. It's the first word that came to There's my head. There's a lot of syllables in that. So it sounds like a, a pretentious name for the dog of a sort of composer, doesn't it? Polyphony. Yeah. <laughs> I have a, had a good idea for a um, big banker's dogs that you call one footsie. Right, like and the it. other one. <laughs> Ducks. Footsie, get down from there. It's kind of the lead becoming shorter and shorter and shorter each time and then whoop. Goes oh, that long again. Yeah, recession. Yeah, recessional lead. Good band name. Recessional lead. Yeah. I was looking up some of the alumni. Yeah, the alumni. Of the, of the, the, alu- the alumni yes. of the cemetery earlier, and I, in fact, reading into it, I found uh, a couple of noteworthy people. Uh, one, what I found quite fascinating, was a guy called George Laybourne who was one of the early Victorian music hall entertainers, which is an early form of, you know, stand-up comedy back then. And he also sang as well and wrote songs. And he had a popular hit called Champagne Charlie. Oh, wow. I want to hear that. And I was thinking, it, yeah, well, I've got, I can find it on here, but I was thinking what would be more amusing would be if you could give your interpretation of what you think Champagne Charlie sounded like, just in a few lines. <laughs> And then I'll play you the real thing, and then you can see how close we are okay. to, to the actual reality. People don't understand when they see me hand in hand At the dance hall with my call They look at me and say Oh, look at him, he looks a bit gnarly Maybe it's because he's a... Champagne Charlie. Oh, that was more than I could have hoped for, actually. That was quite spectacular. Right, I'll find the original. Right, here we go. This is definitely a recording. I've seen a deal of gaiety throughout my noisy life. With all my grand accomplishments, I ne'er could get a Oh, I bet you 
Yeah, we'll stop it there. That was kind of an yeah. American interpretation. Yeah. Considering its first outing was performed in Leeds. That's quite a far away <laughs> from from that. Yeah. So I think it didn't yeah. quite work. But I think your version was infinitely better regardless. You got the gist of where I was trying to go, I hope. Yeah. Is, is it Muin or Moen, your second choice? I say Moin. It could be Moen, though. It could be. could be. Or Muin. Or Muin. It might be, because there's sort of some cattle on the album, the EP cover. That's a good so point. So I was like, oh, maybe it's Muin. Yeah. Well, okay, let's say Muin. This track is called Stacy. Each one on the record is named after, like, either female or male name. It's very doomy. I mean, again, this, this came out on a label. This is one of my favourite labels called Blackest Ever Black. It's a duo um, that usually go under the alias Rain. Mm -hmm. And this is their kind of, they usually do primarily electronic based music, more around the realms of kind of dubstep or techno um, or ambient stuff or kind of droney techno noise music. But this is where they've kind of picked up a guitar and a pair of drumsticks. And it's very minimal, very kind of doomy and pulsating and very kind of dissonant, but really kind of gritty. In terms of sound palette, I very much drifted away from guitar-based music. Uh, and this kind of brings one of these releases that came out and brought me straight back to what I loved about it. Very much a uh, textural uh, kind of tool, as opposed to playing many notes or riffs, as might be done. And it just has this complete post-apocalyptic kind of, you know, feel to it. I'll tell you what, let's uh, slowly walk by this collection of old alcoholic men and see what joys the camera mm. can pick up. They've got a great atmosphere around them. Yeah, I feel the like sun it's, it's, it's filtering through the trees onto the white hair. Did you want to go down there? No, oh, at some point. At some point. I, I'm, I'm, I'm aware back. I'm steering too much. You take over for a bit. You drive for a bit. Well, I kind of wanted to. You want to hang around with those guys? <laughs> I think want to so. hang around with those guys? Hey. Maybe the apocalypse would be so slow and drawn out and dull that we wouldn't even realise okay. it was happening. Uh, but I feel like in, a lot of film interpretations of the apocalypse, there's a lot of 
people freaking out, a lot of emergency news reports, people running with their children in arms and people mm-hmm. queuing at big bridges to get out of a city in four by fours. So I kind of went with that style of method and sat in my kitchen and then ran into my bedroom where I keep all my records and ferociously picked out nine records at random uh, to then kind of run off with out the room. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, that didn't quite have the effect I wanted it to and I ended up coming out with seven uh, 80s Detroit techno records and uh, one kind of Armenian funk record. Which, I know, I, I love Armenian mm. funk as much as the next, uh, next fan, but not, not in a bunker disc for ages, it would be too much. You do need a bit of yeah. something a bit more whimsical yeah. to, get you, sure. to get you going. So, you can't have just Jack Brill, Scott Walker and Leonard Cohen on loop. No, that would be you know, terrific. Um, you <laughs> bash your head in with whatever tinned food yeah. you had left in the cupboard. Especially if you played all three of them at the same time. I mean... Uh, uh, Leonard, Scott, Jackie, threesome. That would be a slow. Yeah. A lot of hepatitis there as well, I imagine. Wow. Do you know what a golden teacher is? Yes, yeah, a mushroom, in fact. Ah, okay. I I've, I've actually experienced uh, a golden the mushroom as well as the band, yeah. And they're both right. exhilarating and heady and mesmerising and entirely confusing um, experience, both, both in equal measure, yeah. T- two of them I know quite well, two of the members. They're kind of based in Glasgow and come from that kind of Glasgow School of Art background. But they're all from different places. I think there's two guys from America someone from Glasgow, another guy from France, and they basically have the kind of charismatic songwriting of talking heads with kind of the driving bass lines and pulsating rhythms of uh, kind of early acid house. They've got live, they've got quite a post-punk DIY attitude. Everyone plays all different instruments and kind of maneuvers around the stage doing different things. A million other projects that they're each doing. Mm-hmm. Um, when they get together, there's some kind of megazord super force. This is kind of everyone firing on all cylinders. Saucy Hall Withdrawal by Golden Teacher and their album Luscious Life 2017. Saucy Hall, I don't know. Oh, Saucy Hall. Saucy Hall. Come down to the Saucy Hall and we'll give you a good seeing too.
I've been letting you steer the walk. Well, this is the thing. So I come around here quite often and it's very windy, uh, very botanical, lots of forestry with just these graves littered in amongst everything, really. There's not a direction you can look where there's not a, hit, a grave somewhere. Yeah. And there's a ivy, just sort of yeah, piles of ivy. It's kind of pathways that aren't quite as carved out. You yeah, can maybe walk around, ivy. which I go until you get to the point where you're having to step over multiple graves and then I think, you know, maybe turn back. But I think I'll, I let my internal navigation direct me around here and because of that I'm convinced there's still certain pathways that I've never actually I see combinations yet to tread. Yeah, yeah this is this bit spoils it a bit. When I get around to here and I can see the red brick flats kind of peeking yeah. through the trees, I tend to veer off in another direction. How about I, here? Yes, you can sort of on the corner of the uh, uh, the estate of the dead, the estate of the living looms over. And the graves, they're all kind of swaying from side to side like uh, sort of drunks trying to keep awake. Yeah, which is, you know, yeah. appropriate for the yeah. what we saw earlier. Absolutely. There are quite a lot of them have got sort of fake, well, stone books open on pages with the uh, details of the people on them. One of those? Oh, yeah. Okay. That's the sound of, let's go this way. Have I heard one? Oh, yeah. No, oh. So. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Very moist earth just on this path here. Oh, it's yeah. Quite soft. The, the churning of moist bark. This is rat country where we are right now, I feel. Oh, it's kind of hollow. Maybe this. No. Maybe a secret doorway to somewhere. Number four this, this translates as turbulent storm. By a man called Michael O'Shea. It's an entirely mesmerising record. I could have picked any of the tracks. Mm -hmm. uh, he's originally Irish. I think he resided in Kerry for a long while and uh, built his own instrument, which is some kind of electronic dulcimer. And he's just a master of something you didn't know you needed. This electronic dulcimer is absolutely mighty. It's um, nimble, it's rhythmic, it's proto-techno in there, there's kind of all these uh, folk traditions that are intertwined with, you know, electronic synth music that predates mm -hmm. everything really, it's, it's phenomenal. Mm. Uh, sadly died, I think, quite a few years ago, maybe early 90s maybe, was it? Or? Yes, I think he was, he was hit by a postal van, actually. Oh. I'm struggling not to say it's ironic because of course he had a very nomadic lifestyle Yes, and, no um, fixed address. No fixed address. <laughs> oh dear, that's terrible. He was an aid worker in Bangladesh. And yes. uh, that's where he, I think he had hepatitis. That's Hep when B, he learned, yeah. yeah, that's when he learned the uh, sitar. Well, fair enough. Some people would get treatment, others would learn sitar. I guess. Absolutely. That's how he peeled himself. Yeah. But uh, that, that's where this uh, kind of love of world instruments came from, apparently. Oof. This this track keeps on building and building and starts off with one theme and idea and then builds up and up and up and it's a turbulent it's, storm. It's a turbulent storm. It's difficult to describe.
I don't like often describing music, but I can't stand still or sit still when this track, particular track, is playing. Mm. And again, when I go back to collecting records and digging records, these are the real gems that you find. One one guy, very unknown, just completely out on his own thing, just creating this monstrous kind of hypnotic music. We're, we're, we're by the um, founder of the Salvation Army and his uh, gravestone's a big badge. You'd never have thought back then in 1845 the amount of kind of old boots and ironing board covers that lay dormant in his charity shops. Yeah. Come over here, look, it's been severed. God. Yeah, there's a statue of a kind of Marian figure who's been sawed in half and sort of thrown into the undergrowth. Okay. This is the closest to a crypt you're going to find up here, I think. Oh, okay. Let's have a walk down and we can come back up, can't we? Oh, red carpet's kind of eerie, isn't it? <laughs> Couple of chairs in there. Yeah, the red carpet. Throws over. It looks kind of... Yeah. I feel like this maybe was somewhere where pigeons came to die. And now it's been reappropriated as some kind of... I don't know, yeah, pagan living room, little pagan front room. There's a lot of sad middle-aged men walking around in headphones I've seen today. I don't say it too oh, loudly, yeah. but mm. that's maybe a new kind of demographic. Not, For the grave, I've yeah. not noted, yeah. She's took the kids, she's took the car, she's took the house. Yeah, but she won't break his spirit. No, he seems to be, like, grasping onto the straps of his bag too tightly to think he's going to go into a... He's going up on his tiptoes every five seconds. One... Oh. So I think he's meditating or something. I don't want to invade his aura, really. Uh, okay. I mean, we'll wait, it's the perfect we'll spot. We'll, we'll oh, he's taking his clothes off. Look at that guy. Is he? Yeah, quick. Yes, I think he's... he's Rice smile at the orgy, and then time to leave. Yeah. So Bamboo Man basically is one of my best friends, Kirk Barley, who I met at university, at Music University. And he's probably the biggest source of kind of inspiration and, you know, collaboratively and generally mm -hmm. uh, in my, you know, in my musical life, I'd say, actually. And we both went on a journey, from, started off fairly conventional hip-hop, were into experimental bands and were both in bands at opposite ends of the country at various points. And our love of kind of strange experimental music as well as field recordings and the idea of instead of a conventional kick drum, why not throw an apple at a car door of your next door neighbour on June the 20th mm -hmm. and that having instant relevance and individual sonic quality to it and we kind of adopted this method of using field recordings and found sounds heavily in our work uh, for textual and for gestural purposes really and yeah he's he's pretty popular right now and does a few other projects one called church andrews which is kind of algorithmic dance music and he does stuff under his own name kirk barley he's got an album coming out on the label 3333 and he plays at cafe otto quite a lot at the minute okay. so you can catch him there um, and yeah this track Fields is very exemplary of everything I love about his music 
It's it's very textural, um, very field recording based, but ultimately you can hear the math rock and hip hop uh, influences in there, uh, as well as you know a nice kind of melodic riff to hold mm-hmm. on to that brings you know ties everything together. Have you thought about how you might decorate your bunker? If you've got carte blanche, you can have whatever bunker you like. Well, I definitely think um, I'd want a double bed, obviously, but yeah. which you don't often see in kind of bunkers. There are always these small little army beds, but why not a double bed? But then again, I would like some Spider-Man bed sheets or some X-Men bed sheets. I don't know if they do them in a double. I'm sure we could get them made up for you. Or we could sew two of them together, a Spider-Man and a uh, X-Man. Yeah, there we go, just like a Marvel yep. tapestry. I'm not really sure. I'm not really a decory person, actually. In fact, I was someone who was in a long-term relationship for about nine years and lived with my partner then and didn't have any free reign, really, over the decor or anything going on. So when I moved into my own space, just being able to choose my own bed sheets and different things was kind of a thrill. It was almost overwhelming. Some kind okay. of like brushed metal, quite matte. I'm not shiny. I'm not a shiny person. Maybe cacti. A couple of cacti. You can't. They're, they're okay. pretty good. They'll be good in a pocket. Good for, for the air. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, maybe just like a a little lava lamp or something, kind of kitchen naff like that. Brushed metal and a lava lamp. Yeah. And Spider-Man, X-Men tapestry bedding. It's great. I say. Okay. <laughs> when you put it like yeah. that. So I'm trying to think of the irrigation system and how that would all work. And yeah, no, I I think it's perfect. Like I, I think it it goes somewhere. It goes somewhere. Yeah, I think it goes down into the earth's core. Yeah. Basically, just a big shoot into the fireball yeah. in the middle of the earth. Do the well, fair enough. So yeah, the next track I've chosen is by the kind of northern folk hero, experimental folk hero Richard Dawson, who's just. Wow, a force to be reckoned with, really, on every level. He's like a very humble, hilarious um, folk artist who's 
two, two elements to them at either end of the spectrum. One is to kind of keep the traditional folk songs alive and very much keep the nature of those songs intact. But on the other side, his own music that he makes is so quite radical and experimental and draws from sorts of experimental rock music and, and math rock and jazz and African music and, and all sorts of places, really. And it's very, he doesn't even, when he performs it live, there's no microphone required. He absolutely bellows this, this oh, track okay. out. And there's something quite beautiful about it. I like the idea that effectively it's about an arsehole farmer who nicks someone's livestock and then when the police come knocking, he denies it all. But it's, it's, it's sang in such a heartfelt, melancholic way. Uh, and mm. I just like the, that, that, that push and pull between those two elements. So I'll roam around on some other man's ground. I'll take a fat you from his pack. And with the aid of my knife, I'll shorten its life. And I'll carry him home on my back, my brave boys. I will carry him home on my back. And the children shall pull the skin from the wool. I'll carve him up to the bone. And when the constable do come, I'll stand here with my guns. And I'll swear all I have is my own, my brave boys. I will swear all I have is my own. Apparently he's quite into like Kawali and like Sufi music and spiritual musics from various cultures as well. Yes, he is. He's very, he's very rich in the heritage of his own country, especially uh, Northumberland, where he's from. But again, it's very much looks to other different uh, mm. cultures and their, their kind of folk traditions as well. It's kind of all incorporated in his music in there. But again, the thing that will strike you the most if you go and see Richard Dawson is just how funny he is. It's very much a stand-up set as well as a... Mm -hmm. Uh, as well as a live music performance and he's incorporating all these absurdist stories and whimsy and kind of strange little characters and bits that he does in between songs. The next song is about an imaginary bag and uh, it's based on five different bags, four of which are real and one of which is imaginary. So the, the imaginary bag is a totally different back to the one in the sun. <laughs> <laughs> mm. It's not it's not a microphone stand anymore. It's turned into some kind of mischievous goat. The brisk lad. Uh, a nice 
humanistic breakup from all these other electronic noises and it's very raw and powerful so it sits nicely kind of as the yoke of this selection it's sort of round faced and ruddy he works quite well as a yoke surrounded by all these pallid goths that you've um yeah selected you've chosen. Yeah. yeah i tell you what you'd need a good few stabs with a uh, soldier of toast to kind of yeah, break this yoke i think i saw one goth but that was it was kind of was questionable, he? really, because she was a bit more sort of rockabilly goth. Right, okay, this is the thing as well now, all the subsects yeah. of goth, and it's quite... It's, it's, for, for such a, you know, solid identity, it has somewhat dissipated into all these other factions and subgenres of goth. Because when I first looked at your uh, playlist, you kind of run the periphery of goth there. Yeah, I think maybe I've always been a peripheral goth. At heart, really, maybe. I mean, I did hang around a fair few uh, town hall steps and kind of clock towers and things in my youth. That's very kind of gothic dwelling in the more modern sense, I guess. But yeah. I was always a, a silk scarf goth. A silk scarf goth? Yeah. What was that? What was that entail? And the silk just pervaded my entire being. Yeah. But yet still, there was a, a nihilistic core to that silk. <laughs> it was paisley and laced with... Um, Macabre patterns and such. Absolutely. Okay. This specific path, my, I used to come down here often, and I've got various photographs on my phone of me and my ex-partner. Um, one in the snowy winter, another in the kind of blustery autumn, and another one mm. in the kind of... Uh, springtime, yeah, well, no, springtime, where it was all very, um, everything was blooming. And yeah, mm. kind of, not to get sentimental, but I do have that, I maybe do have a slight affinity to this place where, it, you know, that comes across. I think of that as my past. I see dog walkers and I very much feel a maternal instinct towards dogs at the minute. I feel like I need a dog in my life. And then I then come out and walk past the kind of, drunks and alcoholics and see my inevitable future. So there's something quite Dickensian about this, uh, this walk, the, the past, present is, and future. The path is kind of cracking. It's sort of like several paths all kind of... Submerged into one, such is life, Maybe. such is life. Yeah. And you know, the trees are regaining the pathway underneath here, that's what's going on. So you need the, the adoring eyes of a dog something within you yeah i've never really been interested before but i think at the minute this place i'm in my life i'm projecting a lot onto kind of the fairy beasts i see oh age nine that's a sad one yeah i mean even her name was stone it just wasn't that old stone she was always meant to be this way yeah this is inevitable it's quite yeah they, these are all actually looking around quite small graves here Oh, this one had a good innings. What was this? Born 16th June 1912, died 4th of March 2014. Fair enough. Edna. Oh, Edna. So basically, going back to Blackest Ever Black, a label I said that I found, run by a guy called Kieran Sand, who um, was a journalist and uh, music editor for Facts magazine, maybe at the time, had such an extensive music collection, knowledge and taste, that he decided to make his own label called Blackest Ever Black, which was quite gothy synth pop, uh, and then dark electronica kind of stuff that was coming out on that label. And 
eventually, maybe I think maybe two or three years ago now, he decided to open a record shop called Low Company, which is in fact maybe oh. 15 minutes walk from here. Actually, it's Downs. in the Hackney Down okay. Studio, located there. And it is probably the best record shop in the country, I'm going to say. And they are musicologists through and through, really. They would never probably identify themselves as that. Mm -hmm. And when I walk in there, I very much give myself up to, to the, the shopkeeper. Uh, there'll be a bit of digging and a bit of flicking through, but you very much go in there for their knowledge and their thirst and their, their intrigue for records. And they'll pretty much have gathered your taste if you've been in there a few times. Oh, they'll just plonk okay. a big load of records on the table for you. They'll go over, hop, get a load of stuff, bang. And you'll sit and listen to it all and end up spending £70, even though you barely had a tenner to, mm -hmm. to hand over. So, yeah, this track is called uh, Flood. And it's probably yeah, my favourite. It's very trudgy and very kind of yeah, coming to terms with the apocalypse. This is after you've had the kind of the moin mm. rage of the, you know, the, the, all the chaos and doom. And this is very much, you know, maybe year three of being locked in a post-apocalyptic bunto and just the, oh, you get this one out. The trudge and yeah, the, mm. the trudge and, and monotony of post-apocalyptic life maybe. Dubbed out drum machines, recorded inside of a toilet. Uh, of course, uh, yeah. vocal kind of recordings, hmm. and you know, very all the all the electronic elements are like really provincial MIDI devices and really kind of naff sounding things. But they managed to make it sound fresh and creative and interesting and have a lot of depth. So, what what uh, um, fictional song names have you uh, cooked up? 
I haven't prepared any at all. Oh, here, I'll give you one. All right. Achilles in heels. Achilles in heels. That's phenomenal. I like that. I'll take that. Um, I was thinking like a kind of an 80s band called Patrick Persuasi. I don't know. Venus in concrete. Venus in concrete is particularly good. Like and uh, there's one, I've got an ambiguous one. Right. But there are no blonde waiters working here. Nice. I've got another one that's quite ambiguous. Not in these jeans. See, I like dot, these ambiguous dot, dot ellipsis. ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's kind of the end of weird conversations that I've heard in various places, I think, more than anything. But yeah. Yeah. Rubella Fitzgerald. Arty, enraged, in hosieried, in grime. Okay. That's, that's in, a mouthful. What's that going to be? I mean, like it's like from Parsley, Sage, Rosemary, and Thyme. Right, okay. But, yeah, uh, right, I well. mean, uh, there's something in there. There we go. Sigmund Void. The golden shower ratio. Uh, reservoir pogs. And then there's another stranger one. Uh, your children when they're old. The banjo string quartet. The red hot child predators. I uh, see what was, you did there. there. Yeah. Gynecomastia. Which I like as a name, which is the medical term for someone with uh, moobs, man boobs. Oh, right. Is that the... What was that again? Gynecomastia. Gynecomastia. Oh, sounds like a that. kind of thrash metal band. Well, Still. quite often thrash metal bands, they do suffer from that, don't they? Yeah. The Fifth Elephant. Bermuda Love Triangle. One Trick Phony. Ah, great. I like it. One Trick Phony. That'd be great. Well, I feel like that'd be like an early rapper. Like One Trick white, Phony. Yeah, like a kind of white rapper... Um, from the, the mid-90s. A band name I thought of after cooking some sausages, uh, Turn Occasionally. Quasimoto, Madlib's probably most recognisable alias for the kind of sonic qualities of it. And again, I grew up with a lot of hip-hop, but it was in that era of kind of Biggie and Tupac and a lot of what people would journalistically call gangster rap. There was a kind of lot of... Um, violence and bragging and the same kind of you know the same kind of thing over and over again people bragging about different things and i find when i first heard madlib and oh, again looping around yeah. seven laps of a graveyard for true redemption yeah well yeah that's that's one of the reasons i often come here actually it is my redemption all the heinous things i do in the outside world was on the label Stone's Throw, run by Peanut Butter Wolf. It's home to kind of Jay Diller and uh, MF Doom and uh, Madlib, to name a few. Like content-wise, lyrically, and this kind of samples they would use to make the beats, it'd definitely be a bit more, you know, abstract and out there, and they'd be drawing from much deeper, weirder sources. Uh, from mythology and comic book culture and strange kind of film samples. And, and then there's Melvin Van Peebles, if you're familiar with him, uh, American kind of uh, black poet and comedian, um, kind of predates Saul Williams. It's kind of a weird guy. Put curse on you. May all your children in the junkies do. Your mammy tricked by the pound to buy that ounce. Your young daughters get rich old dudes head in limousines too.
Samples of him appear all over this record. The, rec the actual record's oh, okay. called The Unseen. And uh, yeah. legend has it that Madlib went on a seven-day mushroom, magic mushroom binge. I see, the golden teacher. Yeah, maybe yeah. he had a few golden teachers and created uh, Quasimoto, which is this high-pitched character whereby he used to record his vocals at a normal speed and then pitch them yeah. up and would rap on the beats at maybe, you know, quite mm -hmm. a few BPM slower and then speed it all up yeah. to get the effects mm. that he has. Hey yo, we head to a party to go see what's happening. Smoking a lot in the car, turn on some rapping. Start the freestyle, we be up on our way. Finish up the blunt. Somebody passes that spray. Get on the freeway, yo, it's after dark. I guess you always pulls up right behind the can some narcs. Letting all kinds of speed cars pass. Just so he can harass our black ass. Police pulling us over for no reason. Searching the car like it's nigga hunting season. Yeah, round. Asking about where's the pound? Where's the guns? Are y'all niggas on the run? You got warrants? Y'all niggas ready for some torment? That's how they be cracking. It seems like they be acting. Except it's real life. Like they rushing up your residence. Searching the crib. They can't find no evidence. Man, this stuff is making me mad, Do you think there's a low-class conspiracy in the graveyard? I think this graveyard in particular is very, quite well-to-do, isn't it? Other than the, the fallen soldiers, um, at one end of the graveyard, it's probably quite, it's fairly well-off people in this graveyard, I'd think, wouldn't you? Lots of Portland knocking around here. Yeah, there's a, lifting these would be horrific. I think the most any kind of graveyard work has to do now is to kind of jet-wash the... Jet wash the, the slime off the off the sides. I've got another one, uh, corduroy bat suit. Very textural. Well, yeah, it also stems from my friend's mum uh, when he was younger making him a Batman outfit <laughs> from black corduroy. So he was in oh, wow. fact a corduroy Batman. Because you know Batman, he's so sleek and um, bat silk skin, exactly. and then to have this sort of geography teacher corduroy. Yeah, it's a great uh, contrast. Yeah, you're going to like this one. Um, um, the Sad Hoover Spiritual. The Sad Hoover Spiritual? It's, it's an instrumental. Nice. What, like a kraut rock kind of post-rock outfit? Or? Well, it's hoover gaze. Lots of suction within their music. Oh, yes. The Bark Street Boys. It's like Bark a kind Street. of organ uh, band. Jane Fonda and at least three sea lions. Leash around a gravestone. Jude Law's Bathwater. Alt-right, said Fred. Alien versus Sex Predator. That's not really a band name, is it? That's, that's yeah, just a, that's your films to watch list. <laughs> yeah, 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 sorry, yeah. I thought I've gone into the wrong wrong list there. Clonk. Yeah. Oh, God. Um, right, Clonk. Again, quite a difficult tra track to talk about. This is um, one of the early Warp Records releases, uh, and it's an alias from Richard H. Kirk from Cabaret Voltaire. Mm -hmm. And it says Flurry into techno music uh, particularly influenced from kind of Detroit techno and electro 
I spent many of much of my youth uh, on mind-bending drugs in clubs, dancing away to in the darkness with friends to strange and unruly kind of underground techno and dance music. Many of my transcending, most transcending experiences have been in these kind of situations. It kind of sounds very superficial when explaining it, but unless you kind of experienced it, it's not. It's quite difficult to understand or talk about, I think. This one in particular is quite a weird record. I think I found it on Discogs, which is kind of the eBay for records. It's about three or four pounds. Uh, and it's a track that ever I've played it out in DJ sets, everyone. It's quite groovy and playful, uh, but also full of bass and kind of, yeah, it's quite an interesting track with a nice little vocal, uh, like a mm-mm, like a kind of agreeing. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's one of those kind of sounds that kind of is used rhythmically. Yeah. And uh, it ties up nicely to the Laurie Anderson, the uh, ha, ha. Again, yes, beginning. that's a very good point. The full circle book in the graveyard. Yeah, yeah. And again, yeah, it's very, with dance music, the thing I like about it, it's like in a, in a sea of music where there's so much music now and everyone can do it. And it's like about what makes your music stand out or what makes it relevant or matter. The idea of dance music being the function, very functional and just making people mm. move and dance around and, and still stay interesting and kind of engaging is, is something that I find fascinating. And the idea of something minimal and rhythmic kind of holding people's attention and, you know, kind of uh, poking and playing and tickling every primal urge you have to move around and, and dance and everyone doing that together in one place. Uh, mm. It's something that I find kind of... It's the closest I get, other than making a cup of tea about four times a day. That's the closest to any kind of ritualistic experience that I savour mm-hmm. and enjoy. Once I, at university, studied a lot of electroacoustic and kind of academic sound design stuff, a lot of the GRM stuff, mm-hmm. and realising then that you could use any kind of sound as a, as a source 
to make something. It wasn't the conventional synthesizers or instruments or traditional Western instruments. And I was very interested in a lot of Eastern instruments, a lot of African instruments, but through not wanting to culturally appropriate those instruments, found something quite unique in you know, recording, recording tones and resonances from everyday objects. With a lot of computer programs, all the scope for moulding and shaping and getting sounds was, mm-hmm. you know, it's endless, really. Yeah. An endless palette. I just like the idea, the, the cyclical idea of then, on an artist level, of experiencing the world, that being drunk, drank in or sucked in through a microphone, and then having mm. this box where you then reinterpret it and change it and recontextualize it and then make an output with it. Mm. It's kind of like, I think I'm very interested in film and that's the closest that sound and music can come to maybe mm-hmm. naturalist kind of film and, and cinema. It'd be too difficult to then sum up one scene or one film that I'd like as, as a mm. favorite or to take with me, but there's something I watched recently again that I hadn't seen for many years and it's actually a documentary called American Movie. It follows kind of two, well, an amateur filmmaker uh, in the Midwest of America as he tries to complete his kind of horror film. It's called Coven, his horror film that he's trying to make. And it's a documentary someone's made about him undergoing this and the struggles of like a, uh, an amateur filmmaker. And really, as we were saying before, when we looked out to um, the graveyard and where the kind of functional flats meet, this kind of weird uh, dissonance between intention and outcome mm-hmm. is what I find most fascinating about this documentary. This guy is kind of completely deluded. Uh, he has the most heart and the most intention and talks and acts and walks as if he's like an expert filmmaker as one of the a great auteurs of, of film. Yeah. But in fact, is a kind of a... I don't want to say to be harsh to him, but yeah, he's he's very much not that in any way, and he's quite a blithering idiot, and he's set he sets himself up to fail, and you can see all the cracks before, you know, you've even got close. man his whole life is making this one film you you have two hours tomorrow from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. and be an extra in a film you get your name on the credits man as a producer and of course there'll be a whole crowd of people here so we got to make like a line where people can't go have a hell of a lot of assistant directors saying hey hey could you step back like five feet I think my mom's gonna have to end up going out in the woods. I had my shopping to do. Okay, you gotta spread apart that way. All of the extras have just fell through, except for Mike Shank right there. We used to do a lot of partying together, but I don't party anymore. <laughs> hey, Mike, make sure everyone has brown gloves. Does everyone have brown gloves? Oh, dude, dude, dude. I'm broke, man. I gotta get gas tomorrow. And dude's talking about making a feature film. Uh, the name of the film is Coven. Coven. Uh, Coven. Uh, that's the proper pronunciation. No, no. Coven sounds like oven, man, and that's just, it doesn't work. She wants to be in your film, Bill. Oh my gosh. 
You get your three grand back. It's the first line of the film, man. It's got to be on the money. It's all right. Uh... Cut. You got to watch your teeth, too, because they clack a little bit when they loosen up in the mouth. Okay, <laughs> I believe we can do this. There's various characters in his life within this film. There's this kind of his old uncle who has a lot of money from selling a house and seems to be his main primary source of funding. He's got his friend Mike, who is someone who's suffered from drug addic uh, alcohol addiction and drug addiction and gambling addiction, who kind of helps him out. And Your, your face uh, lit up when you said Mike. He's a very unusual, strange character uh, who provides uh, the music, incredible music actually, a haunting and strange and beautiful kind of finger guitar-picked folk. Mm. And is kind of reminiscent of Charles Manson's kind of music. There's then him on the final scenes of the film having to bring out his own mother to be the camera operator who's never picked up or held the camera before because his main cameraman, he can't afford to pay him anymore. You know, there's something beautiful and humbling in failure and there's something very human about failure and about trying and something not turning out the way you thought it would that everyone can relate to, you know. I mean, it's very easy, it'd be very easy to look at this film and kind of feeling like you're just making fun of or laughing at the people doing this and the, the absurdities and how ridiculous they are. But there's something quite beautiful and sad and interesting and kind of heroic about mm -hmm. this pursuit and endeavour to make these, these two feature films with no money or no real know-how or resources to do so. Within weeks, the film will be cut, finished for multiple sales. What do you think about that? Multiple sales to who? We get to see Americans and American dreams, and you won't walk away depressed after seeing this. This whole thing is turning into a theatrical mockery. Do you understand that, Mike? No. <laughs> well, you will. Would you buy this movie for $14.95? Hell yeah, man. I if I can find 3,000 people course. like you across this country, man, I'm in business. That's the ticking of the Brompton mm. wheel. The wheel of time. Slowly ticking away in the form of a fold-up British-made bicycle. Which uh, sound design projects are you working on at the moment? Recently I've been doing bits for theatre uh, that again involve a lot of field recordings and you know traditional sound design techniques but I'm also doing my own project which is under the alias Slow Loris but slow spelled like the gin like Slow ah, Loris there we slow go like Loris. Just like a strange... I mean they do often look like they've had a hard night out yeah. That was a snippet from Tom's sound design for The Tattoo House, a short film by Jack Ruthenberg. I next asked him to consider which literary crutch he'd be taking with him down to the bunker. You know what? I'm disgraceful with reading. Like I'd say my book collection is not reflective of the person I am, but reflective of the person I wish I was. 
or aspire to be. There's lots of the classic stuff on there and interesting books, but half of them, if I'm honest, I've not actually read. I think the last book I read was the Nut Hamsen Hunger, Hunger. which I know you're familiar with, which I... Which I when was that written in the eighteen nineties? Yeah, eighteen nineties, and it reads like something of today. It's got this very, it's just ridiculous, and the humour seems so modern and up to date. And it what was it? So it's basically about a, a man's kind of a man wakes up hungry, kind of down on his luck, and is is mm. walking through the streets of what of Oslo, uh, which Oslo, then okay. would be Christiania. Yeah, Christiania. And it's kind of just a first-person account and narrative of, of his wander through the town and his, 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 hmm. his observations, and some of them are quite psychopathic and strange, some of them humorous. He gets these fixations. Yeah. It's like he dares himself to do these unusual things. And then yeah. you think, oh, is he actually going to do that? We're kind of quite compelled by the completion of these actions. Yeah, definitely. That he threatens to do. Yeah, and for someone in that story as well who seems to have nothing, he can't. He hasn't got a pot to piss in, or he's not got a, you know, can barely afford mm. any food. Yet he's seems to be very much a master of his own life in a way. This music is taken from the Palm d'Or-nominated 1966 adaptation of Hunger, directed by Henning Carlson. I press Tom with a couple more closing points. This is, this is your final um, task for me today in the graveyard, <laughs> apart from uh, something of a shovel later on. Uh, if you had to give a message to the future generations or beings that were to find you, what would you uh, suggest? I was thinking that my voice would be better served to, uh, as a message to the people who are now stuck underground and maybe the pub story that's been lazily kind of bent into being some advice to someone who's in a post-apocalyptic bunker. It takes me back to maybe three weeks ago after a heavy night of drinking, waking up at five in the morning, a rumbling stomach, uh, very much not wanting to fully wake myself up, uh, leaping up and going to the toilet in the pitch black. Obviously, everyone knows their own home toilet route in darkness. Mm. Uh, going into the toilet, kind of swiveling around, sitting down at the toilet, mm. uh, only to sit there trying to prop my own head up and not kind of slump down in a drunken, tired stupor to realise the back of my legs were rather warm. Uh, yeah. yeah, so I'd kind of... <laughs> reached out for the toilet light and just thought, yeah. well, this is ruined for now. Turned it on to realise that I'd sat down with the lid still down of the toilet. Yeah. A 25-minute clean-up job involving uh, bleach, toilet cleaner, uh, a toilet mat, and then at least 25 to 30 of my housemates, Andrex toilet wipes, which he'd only just two days ago had a go at us all for using. Uh, and I've just, you know, 
use 30 of them in use 25 30 minutes. Use 30 of them in 25 minutes so to try and kind that's of... over one a minute. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's some good maths there. Yeah, it is really one a minute. And um, yeah, and then having to then crawl back to bed... Uh, crawl with the shame yeah yeah crawl at this point I was crawling yeah Mm. crawl with the shame and stench and memories under my fingernails and having to then go to work for 10 hours the next day with that on my mind have you had a favourite grave today? Uh, the Lays were quite. Was it the Lays? Were they called? No, what were they called? The oh, the Loft. The Loft. The Loft family. The Loft family. Yeah. I like the family Loft. Yeah, they were good. They had a very cubic, elongated grave. Yeah, I which, liked uh, them a lot. What about you? Any, any that you can think of? Well, the enduring one. It had an empty space in the middle of the grave, because you know, graves. They're kind of their their monumentality. It's, it's almost though, like a it? fist sort of, against yeah, yeah. death. It's like we're not. I'm not really going away i'm still here in the form of this Giant skeletal monolith yeah, yeah, yeah. just having an empty space in the middle is kind of more a more kind of an openness to death the transparency of time and ephemerality of being that's a good place to end maybe or like some more asmr what are you thinking do you, do you want to be in a graveyard cremated or something more I'm happy to be thrown into a skip, to be honest. I'm not so too okay. fussed after I die that much, really. Or just used to kind of scare or scare small children or something. Maybe be embalmed okay. or used and, you know, someone sew strings into me and make me some kind of puppet. Oh, God, yeah, a decaying some kind of, marionette. Yeah, some kind of pulley system next to it, like you would maybe get in a... You know, in this graveyard here, like, instead of maybe on a woodland walk, you'd have a tyre swing... Maybe I'd just like two pulleys and you could kind of make me dance or just... Like a macabre. Yeah, just some kind of weird macabre plaything, yeah. Yeah, in the town square. Yeah. Sydney, come on. Sydney didn't come along. Sydney wanders another direction. This has been Apocalypse Bunker Discs. If you too wish to brainwash people with your taste in music, please email apocalypsebunkerdiscs at gmail.com. I'm leaving you now. I have to attend an appointment with my masseuse.